Welcome back to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor, where life, sports, and medicine intersect. I'm your host, Dr. Derek Burgess. It's always about trust the process. It's always about do the little things. And if you do the little things right, those turn into the big things. Then the big things help you obtain the, the goals that you have set for yourself. What's up, everyone, and welcome back. I would like to first thank each and every one of you for continuing to come back each week. Um, I officially launched this podcast a little bit over a month ago, and I've had nothing but love and support uh, from each and every one of you. Um, I've been overwhelmed by the comments, the reviews, um, the feedback that I'm getting about this show from the family members of my guests uh, to students that I mentor um, and to just complete strangers. You know, a lot of love from each and every one of you. So I really appreciate it. You know, I promise to you is if you continue to come back each week in each episode, I'll try to give you something meaningful to take away from this podcast. You know, it's been great for me to be able to be here, to be able to share my story with you and be able to share the stories of many other people just like you. I appreciate the support. Uh, the way you could help this podcast is continue to give me your feedback. You know, a five-star review is like gas for this show. It helps continue to move it in a positive direction. And it makes it more visible for other listeners to be able to hear this content as well. You know, I appreciate your feedback. You can email me at thesportsdoctordoctr at gmail.com. Or hit that link uh, for Rate This Podcast and leave a five-star review. It will be greatly appreciated. But without further ado, uh, we have a special guest today. And hope you enjoy this episode. Today we have Byron Young. And as you can see, we got... Alabama Crimson Tide on the front of his shirt. So, Byron, you are going into your junior year at the University of Alabama, correct? Yes, sir. All right. And who do you have here uh, on this interview with you? I see a little head moving in. The- <laughs> <laughs> I just got my dog with me, man. All right. What's he your just dog's name? His name is Denny. I named him after the stadium. Okay. Denny, after the stadium. And what kind of yeah. dog? A Labradoodle. Labradoodle. All right. So, mm-hmm. my dog's story is... Uh, we were shopping for a dog about six years ago. My wife told me she wanted, I think it was a Labradoodle as well. Um, but I went to work one day. She said, I want a black dog, right? A Labradoodle. So I went to work yeah. and we're in the OR one day and somebody says, hey, I have a dog. It is a lab and pit mix and it's black and it is free. So she said the key word. She said free. I said, I'll take it. So, <laughs> so you got the dog that my wife wants to have in my house, but uh, yeah, I yeah. got a free dog at home and she loves it just the same. So, all right. All I right. had some free dogs too, but I mean, yeah. they all the same. They all the same. Right. So tell me where you grew up. Uh, tell me about your family. I grew up in Hebron, Mississippi. Uh, really, really small. It's not even really a town. It's just a small community probably less than two, 3,000 people in it. I uh, grew up with three brothers and one sister, both parents in the house. It was just, it was a, a loving place to grow up. You know, I had a, a lot of great family experiences. Everybody in my family was really close growing up. So uh, it was just a, it was just a great experience. Right. So you're the baby of the family, correct? I am. All right. And three other brothers, everybody played football, right? Mm-hmm. They all played in college. So everybody played college football. But you're mm-hmm. the largest by far, right, of the brothers? I am. I'm the tallest by far, but my um, my brother, Redrick, he might be a little wider. Okay. But I, I am the tallest. Yeah. So this is an interesting story. So I, I came to Laurel, Mississippi in 2014. 
and I'm at a football game. So you went to West Jones High School. So I'm at a football mm-hmm. game. You know, everybody at West Jones after the game walks onto the field. All right. So they have this little huddle. Coach gives a speech break. Everybody goes to the locker room. So coach approaches me and says, hey, I got this eighth grade kid. I want you to take a look at him. He's had, you know, been seen by a doctor. I want you to see him as a second opinion. And I'm like, an eighth grade kid? Why is a high school coach coming up to me on a Friday night at the end of the game saying, hey, I got an eighth grade kid to look at? So fast forward about a week later, Byron Young's in my office. I walk through the door and I understand why a varsity coach is asking about an eighth grade kid. I think at that time you were 6'3", about 240 or so. Yeah, yeah. I've always been pretty big. Yeah, yeah. So it all made sense at that point. So tell me, so you head into your junior season. You know, you're coming out of a small town, like you said, a couple of thousand people. How do you end up at the University of Alabama? <clears throat> well, I mean, I, I actually never expected to end up here. Um, I grew up just loving LSU. My brother that's uh, three years older than me, he always liked Alabama. So I guess I was trying to be the devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. And I started liking LSU. So, um, but the uh, the high school experience of actually getting here, it was a long one. It was a really long one. I had a lot of trials to go through when I was uh, around three or four years old. I got shot above the eye of the firework that left me uh, partially blind in my left eye. Then, as you were saying, I had to see you for my, my knee surgery when I was in the eighth grade. Uh, but I started back playing football in the 10th grade. I played basketball in ninth grade because they wanted me to sit out a longer amount of time before I started back playing a sport. So I played basketball in ninth grade, uh, played football in the 10th grade. I uh, got my first offer towards the end of my end of my sophomore year. It was a um, it was a long season. We were not very good. I think we went five and six that year, but every year we improved after that. And every year I improved myself and I was able to get more and more offers. Right. So like you said, started off 10th grade year, rough year, but you ended up senior year. Tell me about how senior year ended up. <clears throat> Uh, it, it went pretty well for the most part. We lost the first game of the year. We lost to Wayne County. But then after that, we went on we went on six or seven game winning streak. Uh, then we ended up losing to Laurel again. Uh, then after that, we won out. But uh, then the first round of the playoffs, we played Stone County from the coast. It was a, a rainy, rainy, muddy night. You know, the field was just soaked. Everybody was slipping. And we actually went into halftime. I think we were down 21 to zero. And so my junior year, we got beat by Stone. Um, I want to say 20 to 24. They put us out of the playoffs my junior year. So then my senior year, we played them again. Uh, we ended up coming back, ended up coming back. And I, I think we beat them 24 to 27. Then after that, we played Hattiesburg. Hattiesburg was one of the top five teams in the state, one of the top 50 teams in the country. Uh, we ended up beating them pretty well. I, I want to say we beat them like 35, 34 to 17 or something like that. Y'all destroyed that. Uh, that was, yeah, that was that was the most fun I've ever had in a high school football game. Still some of the most fun I've ever had in the game of this day, even including the games that I've played in here. Uh, then we played, who did we play? Picayune. We played Picayune in the South State Championship at Picayune. I actually, I broke my hand in that game, played the rest secret. of the game. Yeah. <laughs> I broke my hand in that game, played the rest of that game with the um, the hurt hand. And we got to the uh, state championship where we played the Southern Miss in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, like 30 minutes away from where I grew up. 
tons of fans there, man. Probably over 10,000 people there just to watch us play. And we ultimately lost that game 27 to 12. I remember just about every single play of it because it was such a disappointment. But overall, it was a great season. Uh, we had a lot of great memories with a lot of great people. Everything everything was great besides the, the final game of the year. Yeah, but like you said, you you helped build a program. And this year, West Jones won that first state championship. But, you know, that starts years before it actually manifests, right? Yeah, so, it does. Yeah. So tell me about, you brought up a couple of things. So first, you came back from a major injury early in life to play, right? But tell me, what's the difference between being injured and being hurt? You know, because you brought that up. You play hurt college football you probably playing hurt most weekends right mm-hmm. yeah it's a it's a it's it's a fine line between being injured and hurt i think a lot of people don't understand it uh when you're when you're injured it's something major most of the time there's something that prohibits you from playing or something it's something that can get worse if you continue to play on it like a, a broken leg or something like that or a torn acl mcl something like that uh, a minor injury would probably be something like just like a sprained wrist that it'll hurt, but you can still play through it. I mean, even like with with my broken hand, a lot of people might have been considered sitting out because of because of an injury like that. But I feel like it was just hurting. Like when it comes down to injury versus hurting, I think hurting is just seeing like how much pain you can put up with without continuing to hurt yourself. Um, an injury is something that will continuously get worse if you continue to play on it. Yeah, because that's an important, um, especially playing at a high level, you have to be able to push through some degree of pain, right? Yeah, all the time, man, all yeah. the time. I remember um, last year, I dislocated my finger at the beginning of the practice and just played the rest of the, just went through the rest of the practice, went through everything, never missed a rep. It was just, that was just being hurt. Yeah. It was something that, I mean, it hurt, it hurt pretty bad, but it, right. it, it was just hurt. It wasn't injured. It wasn't something that would hold me out. Sure. So let's transition. So you're at the University of Alabama playing for arguably the best college coach ever, right? Nick Saban. So tell mm-hmm. me about championship mindset. Tell me about what it's like. You know, I'm an Auburn fan, always been an Auburn fan, but you do have to respect greatness, right? So mm-hmm. tell me about the atmosphere of playing under Nick Saban. It's something that's really intense, uh, but, you know, as we talk about, you know, goals and stuff, and as we go through the season, we never talk about winning the national championship. Uh, we never really talk about winning the SEC. It's always trust the process, and it's always come in and work every day and be the best that you can be. And I think if they felt as if we gave everything that we had and if we did make mistakes and we put everything out there and we didn't, you know, complete the final goal, which is ultimately to win a national championship, then they couldn't be very disappointed. But uh, we don't have any signs up that that say win the national championship, win the SEC. Um, it's always about trust the process. It's always about do the little things. And if you do the little things right, those turn into the big things. Then the big things help you obtain the the goals that you have set for yourself. Man, that's major because, you know, most people think you go into a locker room, you're going to see a sign repeat, you know, as national champions or win the SEC. But like you said, it's about the day-to-day work. And if you do the day-to-day work, you know, the coach doesn't have to say, we're playing for a national championship. That was understood when he recruited you to come play for him. Yeah. 
<laughs> it was understood. It is understood, and it can be it can be difficult at times to try to not think about you know the national championship, try to not think ahead about trying to repeat. But if you get caught up in all of that, then I guess you can just kind of get caught up in the hype, and you can start believing that oh we're we're this that and the other. But you know last year's team has nothing to do with this upcoming year's team. You know we lost ten people in the draft. I think we lost like fourteen or fifteen people total. So. This is a completely new team, a completely new year. You know, nothing we did last year helps us this year. So we have to completely start over, build a new foundation, and prepare for the next season. Yeah, I actually think it was more than 10 people in the draft. I know Alabama set a a record last year as far as people selected in the draft. Yeah, but that just shows that that's not what you're worried about. You're worried about getting ready for this upcoming season. You're right. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm worried about. Yeah. So let's go back to 2020. So... You know, you're preparing for a season, you're in spring training when COVID just breaks out, right? And everything comes to a pause. And then, you know, during the summer, activities started to pick back up. But besides COVID, you know, it, there was a huge movement, especially in the state of Mississippi and across college sports, where college athletes were kind of leading the charge as advocates. Tell me about that. Also, I mean, that was just that was a whole bunch of the uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, not just not just the Black Lives Matter movement, but trying to make it better for everybody, because uh, there's a there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the world that doesn't happen to just black people, happens to people of all races. Uh, But a lot of that was just about trying to improve the justice system, trying to, you know, get equal opportunities if something is unfortunate and something does happen if somebody steps out of line and, you know, something transpires that shouldn't have happened then the culprit of, of that crime should be punished is just trying to get stuff like that accomplished. I think when people hear, you know, people say black lives matter, they think about a, a group, they think about a group of people like an organization. But when most people actually talk about black lives matter, they aren't talking about, you know, the, the group or the people they're talking about, you know, the, the actual black lives, like the people like me and you, the people who uh, we see every single day. And it's not about a, um, it's not about an organization. It's not about a group of people. Uh, it's about just, you know, valuing the lives of, of black people just as much as you value the lives of anybody else. You know, we're not trying to say, you know, white people don't matter or Hispanic people don't matter. It's just saying in this moment, you know, things are happening to predominantly African-American people. So, you know, that needs to be checked and that needs to be put to an end. Man, that's a great explanation. And because, you know, like you said, it was confusing to many people that when you say black lives matter, that means other people don't matter, but it's actually an understatement that you have to say that black lives matter. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. I mean, I I think when people hear about when, when people hear about that, that's the first thing they think about, you know, people want to yell out, well, white lives matter. And some people were yelling out blue lives matter. Um, But it's not, it's not trying to downplay anybody else, any other group of people, any other race, um, it's just promoting the fact that, you know, things are ha- happening at an alarming rate to African-American people that aren't happening to other populations. Uh, and it, it's just it's just trying to spread awareness of that and trying to get people to see that these things are happening and that even though people might not see it, it happens every single day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one very powerful um, statement, not necessarily a statement, but uh, when Nick Saban led you guys in a march across campus. Tell me about that. Uh, that was something that was something that, um, you know, the, the team really appreciated. I think the community and everybody really appreciated. 
uh, it was something that he he wanted to do. Uh, he didn't want to come out himself and say, you know, I think we should do this because he felt like it should be something that the Kent team came up with. So on one day, a group of us just walked into his office and we sat down with them and we suggested this. And uh, by the next week, you know, it was in action. We had <clears throat> we had police officers there. We had uh, political figures there, students, uh, TV stations, everybody broadcasting it. And it was, you know, all over the TV, all over the Internet. So I think it was something that um, that helped spread awareness because more people are going to listen to Nick Saban than are going to listen to me and are going to listen to any other football player because, you know, football players through Alabama, since he's been there, have come and gone, but he's been the, one of the uh, few constants there. So more people are going to uh, listen to him and pay attention to him. So having him on the forefront was something that really meant a lot to us. It uh, showed us that he was with us and it showed us that he actually he cared about us more than just, you know, buying the football players, buying the person to our ex-player, the football player, but he cared about him as a person. So it was something that I think brought us closer to our coach. And it was something that I think brought a lot of attention to it just in the state of Alabama and around the community and in Tuscaloosa. Sure. And how do you think that carried over into your football season last year? I think it carried over. I think it carried over a lot. Not only the, um, you know, that action, but a lot of other things, you know, meetings that we had, I think, Ultimately, with all of that, you know, it brought everybody closer because there was a lot of stuff going on at that time that, you know, people might not have understood. You know, there might have been people on the team who had never experienced the stuff that we were talking about and the stuff that we were protesting uh, for. So I think it, it brought people a lot closer. It made people exchange stories that they might have otherwise never talked about. And it made people, you know, talk about things that if, if it wasn't for the situations that wouldn't be talked about. Yeah. And let's talk about, you know, we have to talk about your national championship. So you fall short mm -hmm. as a high school student, but you become a national champion as a college student. How did that feel? It was one of the best feelings that I've had. It was just the culmination of a lot of hard work that's been put in, not only for, for you know, just last year, but for 20 years up to that point. Uh, for everybody who was on that team, everybody who was a part of the organization, they had all been working all their lives to get to that point. And for us to finally see that all the hard days paid off, all of the, you know, the days where I didn't want to wake up at six o'clock and go work out, all the days where it was 100 degrees outside and I didn't want to go practice for two and a half hours, to see all of it pay off, uh, and just to, just to know that I've done something that will stand forever, it was a great feeling. It's something I'll never forget especially you did it in a pandemic, right? So mm -hmm. tell me about some of the things that you guys had to endure last year from testing and masks. Yeah, so with, with COVID came a lot of, a lot of challenges. Uh, from, the, from the beginning, Coach Saban told us that the team that handled it the best would come out on top at the end. And I mean, I feel like that's what we did. Uh, we were getting tested three, four times a week. We had them wear a mask everywhere in the facility for the first few weeks before we knew much about everything that was going on. We had to wear a mask and things while we were practicing. Uh, while we were lifting weights, we would have to wear a mask in the, um, the weight room. Everything was constantly being you know, sanitized and everything. But I think, I think ultimately COVID brought the entire team closer together because we all came back to campus at the same time when nobody else was there because normally – you know, we come over the summer and there's still a few people there, but this time over the summer, the campus was completely empty. They tried to keep us in our, in like a bubble. So, you know, we were always around each other. 
you know, it just, it, it built friendships, it built relationships between people that otherwise wouldn't have been there because every day it was, you know, me and my teammates. It wasn't me and my friends that are just normal students. It was, you know, me and my teammates going through the same thing every day, experiencing a lot of the same things. So it brought us closer together. And in the end, I think, you know, I, I won't say it helped, but it gave us something that without the pandemic probably otherwise wouldn't have been there because I know my first year, um, everybody was kind of just scattered. Everybody was doing their own thing. We had a lot of great players. You know, we had enough players to win the national championship. But I believe my freshman year, it was a whole bunch of, you know, people trying to do their own thing and people not trusting in what was going on, people worried about going to the NFL, stuff like that. So I think that this year just brought everybody closer together. I uh, put everything into perspective, you know, just seeing everybody there every single day working. Uh, it just it, it brought everybody closer together. And I guess it, I can say it worked out for the best. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me, you're entering into your third year now, your junior season at the University of Alabama. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say team goal to win another national championship. What are your personal goals for you yourself this season? Uh, my personal goal is just to be the best that I can be. You know, I can't I don't want to set a number on anything because then that sets a limitation on myself. You know, if I say oh, I want to have 10 sacks, you know, why, why, why can't I say 11? Why wouldn't I say 12? So. Uh, the goal for me is to just every day come with, you know, energy and intensity is to challenge myself every single day. It's to challenge my teammates every single day to just be the best that we can be. And at the end, um, if, if, you know, the goal, my ultimate goal is to just, it's just to be the best that I can be every single day. Absolutely. So tell me about, you know, July, 2021 now. So this is a monumental moment for college athletes. Um, the definition of being an amateur athlete has changed, you know, so now name, image, and likeness, you're able to receive payment for that. Um, so explain to me a little bit about what that means to you. Uh, for me, it's just, it, it, it finally says that, you know, college athletes will get, you know, some compensation. Um, it's not something that is overarching and that helps out every single college athlete because, only the top five, 10 percent of athletes are really going to make any substantial gain from it. Uh, you're not going to see many. You're not going to see many defensive linemen, many offensive linemen, you know, many specialists getting deals and stuff like that. It's mostly going to be quarterbacks and wide receivers and, you know, skilled players. But, you know, it's something that can help out. And it's something that I think lays a foundation for, you know, stuff to come, you know, maybe players getting compensated at a at a prorated rate for, you know, the games or, you know, competing in whatever sport it might be. Uh, but, you know, NIL is just something that I think is just a stepping stone, you know, to start a bigger movement and to start more and to just start something to help college athletes out even more. So what would you say to a critic who says that this is going to take away from your focus on academics as a college student? Oh, well, I don't think, I don't think anybody has, you know, any room to say, because nobody else is in our shoes. Nobody else can sit there and tell us what, you know, what we're going to do with our time, where our focus is going to be. You know, they can have their opinion, but at the end of the day, you know, the only opinions that matter are the people who are with us and the people that are inside the building, you know, working with us every single day, because people can say whatever they want. You know, you're going to have critics about everything. I'm sure somebody can pick up anything about me and criticize it, but, you know, if somebody isn't there with me every day, you know, working and, and, doing what I'm doing, you know, their opinion, it really doesn't affect me. It really doesn't affect anybody else in the building. I don't think because we know what we do every day. We know where our focus lies as a team. So I wouldn't really be worried too worried about if anybody said anything like that. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So on timeout with the sports doctor, this is your final timeout, right? So football player. So let's go, let's do situational ball, right? So this is fourth quarter, goal line stance. What's the message inside that huddle? What are you telling? What are you looking your your teammates in the eye telling them? Uh, I think everybody's just saying, man, look, like we go over goal line every single day of practice. You know, every single day we end with goal line. So it would just be, you know, do what we're trained to do. You know, we don't have to do anything special. We don't have to go out there and be Superman. Everybody just execute. Everybody do their job. You know, just do what we do every single day. You know, we, we train for every single situation that could come up. So, you know, in intense in, in, in ten situations and in situations like that, you know, you don't, you, you revert back to your training. So you just do what you're trained to do. Just do what you know to do. So, and just, you know, make a play. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what would you tell? So my son, he's six, you know, he's starting flag football this year. What would you tell a young kid or a high school player who aspires to be a college athlete? You know, they might look at you at the University of Alabama and say, I can never make it there. But what would you leave with them as a, a tip or a pearl? A uh, tip would be just, first of all, just keep God first in everything you do. That's something that my parents taught me, you know, all throughout my life, all growing up. I still get text messages from my mom every single day, you know, keep God first in everything you do and you'll be blessed. So I think first is just keep God first. Then second is just continue to work no matter what anybody says, no matter any doubts that anybody says or any doubts that you have about yourself, just continue to work. And then, you know, every college athlete, every college football player doesn't have to go to the University of Alabama. You know, it's not all about football when it comes to, you know, furthering your education and going and playing in college because if you get a scholarship to go to a junior college, a D1, a D2, a D3 school, NIA school, um, you know, you can go and get a free education. You know, if you can continue to play the game that you love to play and if you can go do that for free and, you know, you can get an education, you know, I think that that's something anybody should be excited about. You don't have to have the mentality of D1 or bust. Uh, it's okay to go to a junior college. It's okay to go to lower levels of football because you're going to get an education regardless because there's going to be you know, a day where you can't play football anymore. You can't play your respective sport anymore. So I think it's just, you know, keep God first, continue to work and just be happy to get, you know, whatever offers you get, whatever opportunities you get. Excellent. Well, Byron, man, I appreciate your time. This has been great having you on. I've been able to see you grow like you said, from a 14-year-old kid to a grown man now at the University of Alabama. And evidently, yes, you must have a little Coach Saban in you because your dog hasn't barked once during this episode, so you <laughs> must be a pretty strict disciplinarian here. Uh, I, he, he doesn't bark too much. and he never he, When I got him, he wasn't barking too much. He's just a calm dog. He likes to, he likes to play. He keeps walking around and everything, trying to bite my hands, but yeah. He's not a very vocal dog until you start messing with me. I hear you. Well, I appreciate it, man. And, you know, it was a joy having you on. And I wish you the best in the upcoming year. Much success to you. Yes, sir. Thank you. It was, it was good being on here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for your continued support with this podcast. A five-star review would be greatly appreciated. Subscribe to this podcast so you can continue to get the updated information and new episodes. Thank you.